Welcome to the AWS Health Innovation Podcast, where you can learn from entrepreneurs and investors who are driving progress in healthcare and life science across the globe. My name is Joe Schunkweiler. I'm a physician and former health tech executive. And my name is Alex Merwin. I'm an operations executive who's worked at two startups that exited as unicorns. And now Joe and I work with healthcare and life science startups and investors at AWS. Today, I'm joined by Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health a company working to make care decisions better for patients and providers, improving affordability, access, and outcomes, all while reducing administrative burden. Kyle and I discuss why fostering trust in the provider-patient relationship is essential, how he and his team think about connecting the right decision with the right information for providers, and why founders should obsess over the healthcare value chain. Enjoy. Kyle Kaiser. CEO of Arrive Health. Thanks for joining me today. Thanks for having me, Joe. To start off, can you tell us about Arrive Health and what you all do? Sure, happy to. At a high level, I think about what we are doing as returning consumer choice to clinical decision making. Think about how clinical decisions happen today and really have happened since e-prescribing became a common phenomenon is we took consumer choice out of that process. And providers were then left to make a purchasing decision on your behalf. And the prescription happens inside of an electronic health record, it gets routed into a pharmacy and the, the consumer really doesn't have much input or understanding of consequences of that until they arrive at the pharmacy. But at a high level, I think what we're focused on is returning consumer choice to that process. In order to do that successfully, you have to do a couple of things. You gotta be able to integrate into all those systems and influence ordering behavior where it's happening. So influencing e-prescribing and clinical decision-making at the point of order. Uh, and then also influence care team and patient decision-making downstream from that. So we've built systems capable of doing all of those things. Most of our work today has been point of care oriented. So integrating into EMR systems with provider organizations so that we're informing that clinical decision-making process with cost and coverage information so that we're driving more affordable choices and choices that patients can access. Having been on the other side of some of those discussions, it's surprising to me that there are more folks playing in that space, in part because when a patient asks you, this is great, but what's it going to cost? What's it going to cost me? Like in my situation with my coverage, et cetera, a lot of times those questions are like shockingly hard to answer for the provider, Absolutely. whoever they are. And it sounds like you're going right at that pain point. 100%. Our body of work today has been squarely focused on that problem. Part of the reason there's not more folks doing it is just this, there's this chicken or the egg problem that you can barely overcome in that in order to integrate with provider organizations or their EMR system, you need the relevant data from the health plans and the PBMs. And in order to get that relevant data from the PBMs and health plans, you need providers that they care about influencing their decision-making. And we were faced with this kind of choice of how you aggregate one end of that or the other end of that to then drive a network, a multi-sided network. I think that largely prevents people from getting into this space. That's a really challenging thing to overcome in any industry, but especially in healthcare. In my previous life, working in the payer provider value-based care space, at our toughest moments, we would turn to each other and say, why don't we just make video games or something that's <laughs> something yeah, where it's much clearer ins and outs. So I definitely feel for the rest of the operational team that arrived that's putting this together. Yeah. 
we've uh, we definitely had some of those conversations along the way too. Yeah, it's it, you're just like, why do people do this, Kyle? I'd love to hear about your own journey and background, given the complexity of the marketplace and what you're putting together here, and how you've gained traction in the space. I just came up in the industry. Um, my family's business was in health insurance and employee benefits consulting. So I, and when I say I grew up in that industry, like when I got in trouble at school, I came home and stuffed enrollment packets. So that was my penance. I, I, I think seeing it at, on the front lines in that way, from an employer's perspective, so in many cases, the ultimate risk-bearing entity, it just gives you a sort of a real upfront focus on the consequences of the inefficiency chose not to go down that path in part because it kind of felt as a consultant, those are they're really smart, good people trying to do that job it's still today, but you get stuck where you're like, you know, your only two choices are increased costs for the employer, increased costs for the patient. And you're just shifting costs in one direction or another to manage spend, but ultimately aren't able to impact the problem, which is how do you control MLR? And, and so that kind of led me, that led me initially down the corporate wellness path and really trying to, you know, focus on health promotion and how do you drive down costs of a population, employer population by empowering people to make healthier choices. And that, that led me into a place called Principal Wellness. That was a wellness company owned by Principal Financial Group. They had a health plan, they had a wellness company, they sold the health plan, kept the wellness company for a while. And that was really my first kind of internal entrepreneurship observation, I guess. This was like a group of 50 or so inside of a 10,000 person financial services company. And that, that gave me the bug to want to go earlier. So I was early employee lack. And then early employee, a company called Catapult Health, who was doing primary care at the worksite, uh, and just got to observe great entrepreneurs getting things out of the gate and, and learn from some really smart people and, and wanted to go earlier and, and met Karn along the way. And this was probably eight years ago or more now. Um, and, you know, we started, became a part of this original team that was working on this problem and been here ever since. You must feel like the, the monks when nobody spoke latin and could read <laughs> could read the sacred text coming into this even on the wellness side but understanding the language and the models of coverage of insurance of the payer process like that is a very opaque and incredibly valuable vocabulary alone much less the having a gut sense of how that works so you must have felt like you had the keys to the castle in, in knowing at least that part of it when you jumped on this journey if only, <laughs> I, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't know that I still feel that way. I, I did, it did cultivate a really intense sense of curiosity. Like, why does it have to be this way? Mm -hmm. A consistent mantra. And, uh, you know, you ask enough questions and people will give you enough answers and just start to piece the puzzle together. Um, but I, I don't know that I, or even us company, uh, claim to have sort of any unique overarching insight into payments. Like I, I think at a high level, what we, what I think we developed as a company as a competency is, is a really intimate understanding of the provider and patient encounter and how trust is at the core of that. And that that's the point of leverage that we built the whole company on is that ultimately what we need to empower is that trust between patient and provider, because that's where the answers need to be, because that's where patients are seeking them. Right. And you go out of your way to ask, questions of your provider and your care team, and you tolerate conversations with your health plan. It's as good of people as there are working at health plans with good intent. There it's, it's the provider that you seek answers from, because that's who 
that's where the decision originated. That's the person you've been seeing for your care. You know, that's just, that's where those answers belong. And so doing everything we can to sort of uh, wrap that encounter with the right types of information is what, what I think we've got that's unique is an understanding of what that is, understanding how to influence that appropriately and then build upon it and expand that, that sphere of influence. Given that you touch so many parts of the system, who do you think of internally as your customer? And does that differ from your user at all, which I know is often the case for these kind of solutions? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I think first and foremost, we think about prioritizing patient, patient interest uh, above all else, right? Like at the end of the day, where there's conflict, we resolve the conflict by how does this prioritize patient interest? And then the, our, our economic buyer changes depending on the functionality within the platform. And in most cases, we're advocating for alternatives in workflow that are payer or PBM derived alternatives. And the user, as you're observing, is the clinical user, right? It's the prescriber on the other side of it. But it's not a clean, here's the customer in this business. There's, it's a multi-tiny network, so it's a little bit less clear, right? So that's why we focus first on patient. And it's how do we appropriately influence provider decision-making to impact the patient. And a really important part of that is insurance pricing and being able to integrate with insurance pricing and PBM. But that's not the whole story, right? Ultimately, it's got to resolve around how do we get the patient compliant with care. Has that vision been consistent since the founding of the company? It sounds like you can't do this unless you're patient-focused and experience-focused, but have has that vision of start at that interaction, that clinical interaction between patient and provider and then work outward. Has that always been the case? Was that sort of the founding ethos of what you were building? It was, yeah. I don't know if we could have described it that way that long ago, but the origin of the company was a guy named Dr. Kevin O'Brien. He's still a practicing physician in Denver, still involved with the company. And he was doing this himself inside of his own clinic. He was tracking ways to save for his patient. He built this monstrous spreadsheet of options. And, and so I think that being the initial inspiration of this was a provider trying to better serve his patients was the jumping off point for the whole company. That's the organizing focus for us. And that even before that, the reason he started to collect those things was because his mom approached him and said, Hey, I've got an out-of-pocket spend that's unmanageable on fixed income. Can you help? And, and he optimized her meds, cut her monthly cost in half. And so that was the initial spark that made him start doing this more broadly for his patients. Her name's Lucy. Kevin's mom's name is Lucy. We have a mantra around the company that's uh, that's called Lucy Up. And it's whenever we need to lift our eyes to the mission and think about more of why we're doing these things, we have that Lucy Up mantra to remind us. If there's a revolution in that process, it's the willingness and desire and the imperative even now to focus on those interactions in yeah. a way that I don't think you or I would have seen in a previous generation of folks trying to do these things. I go to in a very transactional, optimizing payer processes game and not, can we make this better for providers, for patients, and by extension, the payers that don't have to deal with disgruntled members or PBMs that don't have to constantly be put in the corner of these disputes. So it sounds like it's getting at more the intention of these things, but allowing technology to help support that process. I think to your point, the, the right incentives weren't in place 15 years ago to do this, right? E-prescribing started what, 2000, 
two or four or one of those two. At that time, think about what plan designs look like, right? Like deductibles were low, formularies were simple. The difference between a tier one and a tier three drug was maybe 20 bucks. And, and there wasn't a demand for specificity in that process. And now consumer-driven healthcare is the way of the world. It's the exception if you have a low deductible now. And the rule is having a high deductible where you're responsible for first dollar cost on drugs. The coinsurance tiers are wildly complicated, right? Formularies have gotten more complicated. Coinsurance means that you're sharing in some portion of that cost and patient cost shares growing dramatically and growing in relationship to the overall cost of healthcare in a way that patients are now demanding that kind of help from their providers, right? Like, I think that's ultimately what's driving the adoption. We've had some helpful regulatory tailwinds, but ultimately this is like the patient's responsibility now. And, and I think that now delivering great care means considering the cost impacts of these things to patients. Those are now inextricably linked. One recurrent theme in talking to folks on this podcast has been the bleed through of consumer technologies such that people are less willing to accept a really clunky process with no visibility. Has that played out for you all? Have you pulled over those more traditional consumer elements? I think we have. I think at a high level, actually introducing choice into this clinical decision-making process is part of that. So it's not quite Expedia, but in workflow now, we're presenting alternatives to the prescriber at the moment of decision that include different medications that are clinically equivalent or different pharmacies that are potentially better options for that patient, either more convenient or better priced. So at some level, that's the beginning of what is the, I think the expected experience, you know, talk about preaching to the choir on my Amazon podcast, uh, <laughs> exactly. but the, uh, but that's, this is the beginning of that at the point of care, right? Is that we're putting those options in front of a provider and providers are engaging with it. So about 20% of the time when an alternative is present, they're accepting that alternative in your clinical experience, you probably noticed, right? Some of these things are just entirely unsolvable, right? Like right. inhaled steroid, right? There there's. 15 different inhalers you can get for an inhaled steroid and one of them is $0 and all the rest of them are $250. Like how in the hell is anybody ever going to figure that out? And unless you can run a real-time transaction and figure it out, or you can present that as an alternative in workflow. So those are the types of problems we're solving, which are really just connecting the right decision with the right information. What about workflow? That is like the most, it's a buzzword in a lot of ways, but it's also a buzzword for a reason that, that yeah. clinicians, prescribers, whatever you want to call that group is so workflow driven and they're fanatical about it, even if they wouldn't frame it as such. How, yeah. how do you and your team think about additional tweaks and optimizing that integration piece? And it sounds like some of that came from the very founding where you had people who knew what it was like to integrate the, that information because they were already doing it. Yeah. Talk to me through that evolution. Like how have you leveraged technology and insights along the way to really get at integrating in that workflow in a way that makes this easy to use, dare I say, for your prescribers? Yeah. A lesson from our early days is we were working really closely with the Care Innovation Center at the University of Colorado Health. And Rich Zane, who's on our board now, is the chief innovation officer there. He is one of several masters of workflow optimization, but at that place, he was really important to how we were thinking about the problem. Our initial products, we were designing to 
only take diagnosis into account. And if you give us diagnosis, we give you back options that are both clinically and cost relevant. And then you just click. That's ideal, right? Like we've removed a bunch of clicks from the process. We've made it way more efficient. We've created this environment where it reduces the cognitive load of the clinical user. It's more efficient to use the tool. It brings things into account they wouldn't have necessarily brought into account. Otherwise, it was really exciting and way more efficient. And it was not the native e-prescribing workflow. And, and as much as we thought that was, and still think in a lot of ways, that's the future of the way these decisions will be made. Motivating providers to use something other than their the OEM experience inside of Epic was a tall order. So I think the most important thing we learned was meet them where they are is that we need to be a data network powering that experience. We need to be able to drive really accurate transactions into that experience. We need to build trust in the tool. So the alternatives that come back need to be clinically relevant, they need to be rock solid. If we send back the clinical equivalent of spam, we're gonna lose adoption. So it, it, the big takeaway was meet them where they are. Even when you create a better mousetrap in a clinical workflow experience, it's still a really tall hill to climb. And we think over time that'll, it'll, prescribing is going to look a lot more like what we did in the early days eventually, but right now it's about informing the native workflow and the experiences that providers are already engaging with new data. What about your collaboration? Like you talked about EHRs, which, which prompted this, but you're touching all these other players, right? So systems, PBMs, payers, EHRs, what's the, is there a common thread? How different is each of your interaction points? for those folks? There's a lot of, yeah, there's common threads. I think increasingly health systems and payers are thinking about patients in a much more similar way as risk is shared more freely and, or delegated more freely from payers to providers. And that, that's been noticeable is that we were, this was, there was a lot of sort of missionary work in the early days of here's what it is, here's why it matters. We don't even have those conversations anymore. I think that right. the number one requested thing in primary care is cost information. And that's a pretty radical shift in the last six years. And there's a lot of legislation that has happened the last 12 months to the, to support that. But yeah, it's a, it's a, it's progressed much more in that direction. EMRs are really important partners for us. And I think thinking about how they need to evolve and how I think they see themselves as needing to evolve into the future is important and being a good interoperability partner and understanding what they're solving for with their customers is really important for us. But we, I think we, we think of ourselves as shoulder to shoulder with the EMRs in serving our customers and, but our greater focus are health plans and providers like that. How do, how are they best serving patients is the way we think about the world and EMRs are a part of how, but not exactly the why, if that makes sense. I'm struck by how, what you're doing is a unifying factor for all those players in a way that it, they probably haven't. The Venn diagrams don't usually overlap, let's put it that way, in such a yeah, meaningful true. way, then the, all we, the pieces. We often get that question in investor conversation, the like, of just how do you resolve conflicts? And it stumps us a little bit because we haven't had to, honestly. Mm -hmm. it's If you understand where to introduce this information to, and what's happening in the context of a decision journey, then those conflicts are actually pretty easy to resolve, right? Like before the signature happens, it's really important for us to represent plan design accurately and represent plan cost accurately and 
provide that as context for that decision. And after that decision's happened, everybody aligns around appearance, right? Like it's then steam all ships towards whatever solutions are required to get that patient on the bed, because ultimately once it's out of the door, the worst thing that can happen for everybody is that the med doesn't get filled, right? That's where health plans right. and health systems and even manufacturers all sort of aligned around, let's get this patient on the med. So it's just, it's our ability to see that whole picture that allows us to not have to address some of those friction points as, as often as others might. It seems like that would involve pulling all these data threads together at the point of care and at that decision point on the prescribing side. How has access to the data that you need to deliver on that changed or has it over the course of the company's life? I think it's practically has yet to change meaningfully. We're still working closely with our partners to get access to data through whatever means, EMR, health system, health plan, PBM. So we're still working the B2B fashion to access all that data. I think there's a lot of promise for how that will change over even the next year. And cures and all of the legislation that that's much discussed is definitely a tailwind there, but it's ultimately who's got the greatest call to action to use it right. that I think will make that change. I'm hopeful for this accelerating our direct interaction with patients. In a perfect world, the prescription happens at the point of care, and we're able to communicate almost immediately with the patient and say, here are some options, inclusive of your health plan, PBM option, inclusive of the health systems pharmacy options, potentially inclusive of cash pay options even, and empower that consumer with the right information to redirect that decision before it has to go to go to their pharmacy that they've always gone to, re reroute it back to the provider's office, reroute it back to a different pharmacy, whatever those, whatever that story ends up being. But ultimately, the tight integration between provider decision, care team, access work, and patient advocating for themselves is what we're aspiring to. How do we to create that tight uh, integration loop as possible. And do you think that is, that's the vision? That's the Jetson's vision for Arrive Health? That's the way the provider patient experience will be around what's being prescribed and what the costs are? That it will be more and more cons true consumerism, like people have choice and people are integrating that choice prior yeah. to walking in the door, let's say, or immediately upon diagnosis? Yes, or even after where appropriate. Right. Like you, you can see that before a visit, so before visit, it's probably important to communicate with someone about existing medications and ways to save or a gap in care. You need knowing if you're a diabetic without an A1C, we want you to know that walking in the door so you can take action. During the visit, focus on the provider encounter, make sure we're informing the provider encounter with everything it needs to live up to whatever expectations they have. And then at, if you're walking out of the door, you have a lot of information about what just happened. So how, what do we need to be communicating with the patient to drive compliance and adherence to whatever happened in that encounter? So that's the big vision. And it's not just for drugs. I think our aspiration is that's going to be the way this happens for everything, right? There, there right. are the cost share for patients. It's only going to increase and it's only going to broaden as that happens. We're prepared to meet that need for things far beyond pharmacy. Do you see any generational shift among the provider community on this as well? Even in my own limited clinical experience, I would say there, I can't imagine talking about that discussion about cost at the point of care when I was learning about that or doing my initial training, but now yeah. I can't imagine not doing that. Like my interactions with right. physicians as a patient and also as a colleague later in life, 
it's dramatically different than it was. And I'm not the folks on this podcast can't see me. I'm not that old, but I'm not, but I'm old enough to know that, to, to have remembered when that was definitely not something that providers were taking into account because they just didn't have the information available to them. Yeah, it's interesting. I don't know that I've observed in our work a generational divide, but we might be and are certainly standing on the shoulders of some that have come before us, right? Hippocrates did a bunch of work getting into med schools and informing folks around just thinking about formulary and thinking about kind of similar types of discussion. I think probably we are beneficiaries of some of that, that earlier work that was definitively work with the folks that are in training now so that they'll be adopting this type of technology downstream. I, I certainly think that worked. And that may be why we're not necessarily seeing that same rift between kind of the old way and the new way. It's just, this is the way. I think the other element of that is just patients need it, right? Patients are walking in with the expectation that you can have those discussions and providers adapt. I'd like to close us off here with some advice to other founders, operators, executives out there, you have a really impressive list of partners that you work with that arrive. And I know that doesn't come without scars and in, in, in the process of developing that. What advice do you have for other healthcare startup leaders who are looking to enter into those kind of partnerships with the most high profile enterprises in the business? I would just be obsessive about the value chain, right? Who benefits from the things that you're doing and how do they make money in their business and how do you contribute to that? And that's ultimately what makes these things work is that those are, you can still be entirely focused on prioritizing patient interest and obsessive about how people make money in this industry. And those two things can appropriately coexist because if you don't understand one, you can't impact the other. Kyle Kaiser, CEO of Arrive Health. Thanks for joining me today. Happy to. Appreciate the invitation. If you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review and rating. It helps others find us. To learn more about how AWS supports startups, please go to aws.amazon.com startups.